Good morning, everyone. It's been a little while since I stood up here. It has been a peculiarly strange year, and recently it's been no different. Um, could I get that first slide up there, please? Um, so in a moment, we're going to pray, but it has been seven weeks since I, um, since I stood up here and, and preached, and I was reflecting on this going, it feels really odd feels really, really odd because some of it was planned and some of it sort of happened uh, spontaneously. But I, I was chatting with Anthea about this the other night and just sort of going, what, what happened? What's, what's been going on? And she said, yeah, well, Bob, if you're asking that of yourself, probably other people are asking the same thing. Where's this bloke who's supposed to work for the church? Um, what does he do? What's he been doing? Well, this has been the last seven weeks, so let's do a little bit of a recap. Remember, we had um, Dick Hawthorne preach on Peter. And the little asterisk next to that is, uh, is that kind of I was not here on deck for that at the time. Um, June 9th, um, I was away organizing my grandmother's funeral. So that one was kind of not planned. And, uh, and Dick preached wonderfully that morning. The following week was kind of planned. We had a youth service that Sunday morning. Who remembers Noah coming and sharing? Who remembers the mustache? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came and he shared. And it was wonderful. The following week was also planned. We had June the 23rd, and we had Sim Senator, who was the ladies' day speaker that we had that morning. Who here remembers Sim sharing? Fantastic. Now, the next three were actually planned way back at the start of the year that I would be on annual leave. So there was an opportunity that came up to get Mark Wilson, uh, Mark Wilkinson to come, um, who we'd had visit with us before. Mark from uh, the Baptist Union of Victoria um, Church Health uh, and Capacity Building Team. And Mark uh, did pastor at Werribee Baptist Church for, I think, about 10 years. Um, and he came and he shared out of Corinthians 7, for which I was really, really, really grateful because it was a spectacularly awkward passage of Scripture. Who here, was, who, who here was, was there on the morning that Mark preached? Yeah, I've listened to it, and it, he did a, a stellar job with a notoriously difficult passage of Scripture. He did really, really well. It was wonderful. Uh, the following week... Uh, Mike P was here. Who remembers Mike coming? Fantastic. And the week after that, we actually had scheduled um, for Alicia to be preaching, and she was really, really, really not well. So we have this elder on deck now called Les, um, and we were able to tap Les on the shoulder and say, Les, can you please step in because we've, we've had a situation come up that also was not planned. So Les stepped in, and then I came back, and I was r- raring to go, and it turned out that we'd managed to book Peter Stevens, and so Peter happened to be here last week, who, who shared a really, really powerful, really, really confronting sort of stuff around the relationship between Christianity and the Australian state. Um, and what do we do about that? Where do we lean in that? It was really cool. So this has been the last seven weeks. So if someone tells you that in a Baptist church there is no diversity, um, politely uh, challenge uh, their thinking. But one of the things which which I just wanted to encourage us about this morning is in this church, we are, the, the responsibility of filling the pulpit on Sunday mornings rests with the elders for the decision-making. Like that's actually in our paperwork that it's the elders' responsibility to do that. So when these things get planned in, it's never just one person's decision. It actually rests with the elders. And if, if there is something that you go, you know what? It would be really great if, if the next time we did a series, we did a series in this. It would be great to do a series of, of looking at what the Bible has to say about a particular thing. Um, whatever that is, 
please talk to us. Because the moment that we're doing Corinthians, that was something that was planned well in advance. Um, and as we have visiting speakers and visiting missionaries who come, it's planned well in advance. But this is something that's supposed to be for the health of all of us as the body. So please don't feel like, oh, someone else somewhere makes a decision. No, this is for all of us um, as a church family. We are in Corinthians. You are going to need your Bible out. And I guarantee you there is going to be some involvement of you this morning. Because we don't just want to have a look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. We want to have a look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, inspired and, and led and guided by the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit has then preserved in record for us, that we now find ourselves at this particular moment in life looking at today, because there is something in our walk that needs to grow or change or shift or be challenged or be reminded of. So this is not just a talking head at the front of the room. You're going to be involved in this this morning. And we're going to pick our reading up at Corinthians chapter 8. Um, as is the norm, I have the NIV up here on the screen, and I have highlighted some words which we'll come back to and we'll talk about in a moment. So let's read through, then we'll pull out some of the main things. And this morning we're going to do something different. We're going to do a whole chapter. Yeah, whoa. We're going to do a whole chapter this morning. This is week 21 of Corinthians. We're actually going to do a whole chapter. Verse 1. Now about food sacrifice to idols. Paul is talking about the next topic that the Corinthians have been chatting to him about. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us... There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. We're going to come back. That's kind of a linchpin verse right there, verse 7. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them, that's pretty full-on language, isn't it? When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ, this big high status thing here. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Some of you, I'm quite sure here, have heard 
this passage of Scripture get used in all sorts of different contexts. So we're going to have a look um, again at the text itself. We're going to have a look at, at, because Paul is really talking about four different groups of people in this passage of Scripture. We're going to hopefully get it to make sense. I have two stools up here. I'm going to pick on a couple people this morning to help us out with a, a silly little example, and then you are going to have a go at this. Going to have a go at being someone who talks to someone else. Who here likes talking to other people? Okay. Some, who here likes ignoring other people? Oh, what, more hands. Okay. We have some work to do. Verse 1. Paul's main topic here is actually about knowledge. That's why the word knowledge I've highlighted up here. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. No, no, no. Knowing, knowing, knowing. This is Paul's main point, that there is a group of people who have knowledge and who think that they have, they have got hold of something up here in their head. But Paul is now going to address what they are doing with that knowledge. Now, let's remember the context that Paul is talking into here. He's talking to people who live in the city of Corinth. We've had a look at the city of Corinth before and that a whole lot of the money and the wealth of Corinth is because they are a city of trade. They are a city of mixed culture. They are a cultural melting pot that they actually have two really close ports. They have wealth pouring in. They have a whole lot of people coming from all over the world. And there is a temple at the top of the mountain that it reputedly had a thousand prostitutes and that that temple and people going to worship at the temple was wrapped up in this facet of Greek um, mysticism and understanding called Gnosticism. It was wrapped up in their philosophy, Platonistic dualism, that the body and the spirit are completely separate. And they would teach you, you can do whatever you want to your body and gain knowledge, gnosis, Gnosticism. You can gain knowledge by doing whatever you want to the body and it doesn't affect your spirit. These people have now turned up in the church and tried to baptize their philosophy into Christianity. That's who Paul is talking to here. With that in mind, let's read these verses again. Now, about food sacrifice to idols, we know, Paul is saying, okay, we, the, the apostles, we know that we all possess knowledge. Who is he talking to? People who've turned up in the church, who've come from this melting pot of culture. We all possess knowledge. But Paul is saying to these people who think they know something, but knowledge puffs up. And man, isn't this true? Anyone ever bumped into a person who already knows everything? Yeah. Sometimes we've been that person. Sometimes the Holy Spirit pokes us and goes, hmm, are you actually teachable right now? You go, I don't like that thought because that means I have to go back and apologize. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. The two things being contrasted through this whole passage of Scripture are knowledge and love. Knowledge and love. Verse 2. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. People who've rocked up in the church and they've got a head full of this stuff which they've brought with them, Paul is saying they don't yet know as they ought to know. And here, here is his point. Whoever loves God is known by God. That is the superior thing, is that, you know what, if you actually love God, you are known by God. That's better than any other understanding that we come with already. He makes these kind of points, and then he comes back to going, okay, let's talk about this example that you wrote to me about. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know, again, the apostles, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, 
and that there is no God but one. So these people who've come out of Platonistic dualism, these people who've come out of Gnosticism, these people who've come out of this melting pot of weird Greco-Roman philosophy have now come into the community that is following Christ and they've brought this understanding of going, you know, the, these other gods are false gods and they don't mean anything. And Paul says, yeah, that's, that's right, that's good, let's affirm that. That's correct. And you know what, even, even if there are these other so-called gods, you know what, for us, there is only one God. Verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some of the people who would turn up in the community of faith, when they would turn up, they would go, you know what? And Paul says here, verse 7, some are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as actually being sacrificed to another god. Um, when Mark Wilkinson preached, he dobbed me in to have to talk about halal food. So let's talk about halal food. Let's talk about kosher food. We're going to talk about a bunch of different foods this morning. Then I'll get some people up and we're going to do a real world example of this. Is it is easy when, when we are interacting with people who are new to Christianity to assume that they know everything that we know and that they should behave in the way that we think is the right way to behave and that they should get, you know what? If, if Jesus is really the only true and living God, then really it means that going into a temple or a mosque, or a building that belongs to another religion, it's actually, in our understanding, it's just a building. And maybe there's something spiritual going on there. Uh, we can talk about you know, angels and demons and, and unclean spirits. We can talk about all that sort of stuff. But there is one God, and one God only. And his name is Yahweh, and his son is Jesus Christ, the eternal, uncreated second person of the Trinity. That is our understanding because we've, we've journeyed to a place of having that complete understanding. Not everyone possesses this knowledge. So if someone comes along who still goes, oh, actually, but, but there's all these other Hindu gods or there's all these other um, Buddhist deities or there's, there's any of these other other things going on, for us to do anything, you know, if I go into that building then it's going to cause something spiritual to happen. If I eat that food or drink that drink that's been offered to that other deity, then it's going to cause something spiritual to happen, that there is an issue of conscience going on. Because of that person's knowledge, there is an issue of conscience. Their belief is stirred up inside of them. And Paul here is talking about where someone ends up adopting a behavior that transgresses or violates their conscience. That's what Paul is talking about here. We're going to have an example of this. Um, so I'm going to put two stools here. Now, Ron, I already told you I was going to pick on you this morning. Can I get you to come up, please? And I'm going to put Ron here. And I'm going to get Mr. Douthat to come up. And I'm going to get Michael to come up and sit here. All right. Now... This is going to be a little bit awkward. Now, you, you will remember this sermon because this is a bacon and egg sandwich. Yeah, praise God. Now, this is fresh. I bought this this morning. Um, I, won't tell you, I won't tell you who I bought it from, but it cost me about $85. Some of you know where I bought this this morning. No, it wasn't that much, but it's expensive. And Ron, this is for you. 
And I would love you to just start snacking on that. Yeah, this, this is not, this is not going to happen again next week. We have not done this sort of thing before. So this, for the use of our illustration this morning, this is George. Everyone say hello to George. Hey, George. And this morning, this is Fred. Okay, Fred. Now, George is chowing down on a bacon egg sandwich. Is, that, is it all right? Beautiful. I told you it was going to be a blessing to have me pick on you this morning. <laughs> all right. Now, Fred, uh, Fred is a vegan. Yeah. Be nice. All right. And I apologize if there are people in the room this morning who are vegan. But Fred's, Fred being a vegan for him is not only part of the culture that he came out of, but it was also a religious decision. And now he is on a journey towards Christ. And we, we don't know. We don't know where his allegiance to Christ is at, but he is pursuing Christ. He's, stop it. <laughs> he is, yeah, I know, I took a risk. So he is pursuing Christ, but for him, he comes and he sits down. Fred comes and he sits down to have a conversation with George, and then something powerful happens here. George offers Fred some of his bacon and egg sandwich. Yeah, come on, come on. I am the bacon giver. Come on. Now, in this moment, Fred, is, of course, is going to say no because that's the religious position that he has come from. Okay? You eat your sandwich. <laughs> and George maybe goes, oh, come on. You just got to get over it. You just got to get on with it. You know, it doesn't mean anything. So now George is asking Fred to do something that violates his conscience. Now, what if he's not vegan? What if he's come from a Muslim background? What if he's come from a Jewish background? That he wants to honor Christ, but he views this as profane, as, as sinful. Have a look at Paul's words right here. Verse 10, if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge, with all of your understanding, eating something that actually they thought was had a spiritual attachment to it, that person is going to be emboldened. That person is going to be pressured. That person is going to go, oh, look, he's sinning. I'll just sin too. This is the mechanism that Paul is talking about here. Verse 11, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. All of a sudden, this bacon egg sandwich became a high status thing. A high status thing. What are the two things that are being contrasted by the Apostle Paul in this passage of Scripture? Knowledge and love. Knowledge and love. Paul here is talking about us using our freedom and using our liberty in a way which actually harms someone else or in a way which is not particularly loving. So let me give you a few examples of where this may or may not be weird. And then I'm going to put it back to you to have some conversations. And we're going to take some answers from the rest of the room. 
Okay, the Holy Spirit is present with us. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. We need to, to think through some of this sort of stuff because if we are serious about mission and ministry, we are serious about talking to people who aren't already born and bred Christianified. Okay? We need to process this. So we've talked a little bit about vegan or vegetarian. So I had the chance, that's all right, you can keep going, but leave, leave about half of it. It'll be important in a minute. When I was here, I uh, had the chance to be in India earlier on this year. We went uh, and we visited uh, a city where there was a Christian training base and a Christian training organization. And while we were there, they, they you know, said, oh, come and sit down for a meal. And they, they fed us all this particular food. And it was lovely um, and completely radically different to anything that exists in Australia. Um, and as we were sitting there, we realized there was not a single meat dish, which, again, only Aussie Westerners will go, where's the meat? <laughs> and they said, oh, this city that we live in has a really, really high proportion of people who are religiously vegetarian, like it is part of their religious framework and their religious structure. So in order to reach them so that they can step from their faith-based background into Christianity, everyone who comes to this base, everyone who is a Christian witness in this entire area, this entire district is voluntarily vegetarian as an act of mission and ministry and gospel witness. And part of me deep down inside went, wow, respect. Oh my goodness, that is profound. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. That's really hard because bacon. <laughs> like seriously, steak, sausages, kebabs, really it's really, really hard to do. So I'm going to put some questions to you because maybe the background that people are from is a background like this. Their background is that women cover their heads or their background is men do not wear shorts. So in Uganda, one of the things that goes on for them culturally is when, when a boy reaches the, the age of maturity, 12, 13 years of age, they will never wear shorts again. It's a cultural thing, but it has some significance. There are a huge number of cultures around the world where women must cover their head. And it's a sign of respect and a sign of maturity. Um, and there are spiritual connotations. So I want us as a church family, talk to the person next to you. I'm going to give you two or three minutes and have a conversation about this because we have freedom. We enjoy an extraordinary amount of freedom, both in Aussie culture, kind of to do what we want, um, to give respect to other people to do what they want. But we also have this knowledge about Christ to go, these are not spiritual things. These things don't save us or unsave us. They don't take us closer to Christ or further away from Christ. But there are people who have that position. So when this person, when one of these people inevitably turns up in this church family, and it's going to happen, when this person turns up in your small group, when this person turns up in your business, when this person turns up and you are God's representative on deck to minister to them, how will you respond? Three minutes. You have three minutes right now. Have a conversation. And you guys need to have a conversation too. Chat to the person next to you.
No. Well, that's all right. Just slow. All right, about two minutes left. And by the way, if this is if this is confusing, or if you go, man, we, we need to ask some more questions. We're, we're going to open the floor up for for people to mention that as well. Come on, you got about sixty seconds left. I'll get you just to wrap up the, uh, the conversation that you're in the middle of at the moment. So let's ask some of these questions. Um, because we're asking the question at the moment about us being in the George position, aren't we? We're asking a question about us being in the George position here. And someone turns up who already is religiously conditioned in some way and us interacting. Um, so what are some things that came up in the conversation you had about our response, taking this scripture and putting it into practice? Dob in the person next to you if you want to. That's, that's a question. Would we make the meal exclusively vegetarian? Now, it's interesting because Paul, the example that Paul has for us is that this, for this person, it's a conscience issue, but it's also a faith issue. It's the faith the person has brought with them. So it's interesting. Interesting little edge there between someone who's non-Christian and is this a religious decision they've made or not. Other things. Wonderful. Really cool. Other thoughts?
All right, one more. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I was hoping that we would arrive at this conclusion that it's easy for this to become incredibly complex and it's easy for this to become a mess and it's easy for us to go, you know what, am I sinning when I accidentally push a button in someone else? Um because it's easy for us to end up with a position of going, there's someone over there who, who I haven't spoken with, who I don't understand. I don't, I, I haven't been able to ask the questions between whether it's cultural or religious. And so we end up bringing our Aussie culture into this because Aussie culture these days is don't offend anyone. Otherwise you're the villain. That's Aussie culture at the moment. And for us to bring that kind of cultural training that we've received to this passage of scripture and to end up going, you know what? Our, our expression of following Christ is going to hunker down and step back and close down to the most, to the most kind of inoffensive or non button pushing version of Christianity that we can possibly have. That we become a prisoner in one way of what Paul refers to here as the person in the room with the weakest faith. There, again, I want to re- understand this can get very, very, very complex. I want to bring it back to the simplicity that Paul gives the Corinthian church and for us to look at applying that. What are the two things that are being contrasted in this passage of Scripture? Knowledge and, and love. And this point has come out from some of the folk who are in the room, which is good is it's about what is your attitude toward that person? What is our heart attitude toward that person? What Paul is describing here is that George who has freedom and George who has an understanding of Christ does not care what's going on for Fred. That his approach is, I understand it, stiff cheese. That's what Paul is talking about, is to go, you know what, I know who Jesus is, 
That person who's come out of Islam, that person who has a different cultural expression, that person who's come out of Judaism, that person who's come out of Hinduism, that person who used to be a Sikh, that person who was a Zoroastrianism. That's the wrong way of saying that. That person I don't care about. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus more on them adjusting their behavior than on them going on the journey of growing in wisdom on that person actually receiving the freedom first, that person having their conscience transformed first. This is what's going on. This is the situation Paul's describing. Is someone walking through the door of a Christian gathering, whether it's in a home or a church building, and being told, here is how you behave before the person has gone on the journey of faith and understanding. And if we are in the George seat, as many of us are, then we've got to check our hearts. What is our heart attitude towards everyone else actually in Australia? Because Australia is post-Christian at best. In many places, it is pre-Christian, where they have no clue who Jesus is, where they have this soup of, of philosophy and culture and everything going on. And if our hearts are not soft, if we are hard-hearted, if we are focusing on we have the right knowledge, then what we can end up doing is actually sinning against Christ because we are not loving the people that Paul deliberately says Christ has given his life for. So if we're in the George seat, we've got to check our hearts. Sometimes we're not in the George seat, we're in the Fred seat. We need to make sure that even if we are giving someone something that we think is a really, really good behavior, something that we think is a great expression of faith, that if that person has not yet dealt with the, the, um, the conscience issue that's attached to it, we could actually be pushing that person to do something which for them is willful sin. Now, Paul is really clear. That person has weak faith. He is not polite about it. That person has weak faith. And Paul at no point says to not cause that person to grow. Okay? At no point does Paul say that, to, to stop challenging people in their thinking, to stop challenging people to grow. But the way that that has to happen has to be loving. One last point. This is actually what Paul wants to have happen, that the person's heart, the person's conscience is set free by Christ that someone is able to enter into the freedom of Christ. Now, I'm going to be the first person here in the room to put my hand up. You don't have to put your hand up. So I'm going to close my eyes as well. You can put your hand up like secretly inside. If you have ever theologically bludgeoned someone, where you have not been loving, where you have not been caring, where you've gone, no, 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 here is what I understand to be true, here is the freedom that we have in Christ. Why don't you just get over it? Some of us have been in that George position. Some of us need to apologize to Christ. We need to seek some forgiveness. Where are we? One more thing. Let's say the person comes from another church. This is the last example, then we're going to do one thing and I'm going to pray. Let's say someone comes from a church where that church maybe is a little bit cultish, where maybe that church 
has a different set of values, where maybe that church is, is a church that has some teachings which are not on about freedom, and they attach morality and sinfulness to things which the Bible does not attach morality and sinfulness to, in particular ways. Here are some. Come on, let's get, let's get real. Let's say that someone thinks that drinking alcohol is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. Scripture is very clear about that. Drunkenness is a sin. But what if someone grew up in a church that taught them that alcohol in any form is a sin, which Scripture does not say? Then someone who exercises their freedom and challenges someone else to do the same. Remember, when Paul talks about the person being destroyed, it's because that person has adopted a behavior which they believe is sinful, where they have chosen to be deliberately sinful and, tr- and in doing so have transgressed their conscience. Can we see that it's really, really easy for freedom and encouraging someone else to enter into freedom that they haven't processed and gone back to the Word and gone on a journey with the Spirit and with Christ about can be causing someone to violate something which even if it's a lack of understanding... It violates their conscience. And that, that person would be willfully sinning against Christ to engage in that behavior. What about for someone where it's a Sunday Sabbath, where they grew up in a church that said Sunday is the Sabbath, which Scripture never says. What if they were taught as a child that to do anything on the Sabbath is sinful against God? It's actually a sin to do anything on a Sunday. Some of us would go, you know what, we have freedom. You know, we, our, our understanding is richer or deeper. That, that person is just weak in their faith. They just need to get over themselves. Can we see that encouraging someone and trying to, to coerce someone into changing that behavior, that person would be violating something? Is their faith lacking understanding? Is their faith lacking knowledge? Is their faith in the words of Paul weak? Yeah, Absolutely. But you know what? That person would be transgressing their conscience, and in doing so, they would be willfully sinning. This stuff is more, you know, we've got to be careful with this. This one, I have a letter. I have a letter in my filing cabinet at home about the third one on this list up here. Because there was a person who was taught and who was trained that the King James Version, the 1611 King James Version of the Scriptures is the only English translation that actually honors God. And therefore, for them to read or study with any other English translation of the Scriptures is willfully sinning against God. We ourselves are not immune to this going on. We need to be careful. Again, what are the two things being contrasted in this passage of Scripture? Knowledge and love. So when someone turns up in your home, in our church, in, in your Bible study, in your place of work, and that person has already some religious conditioning, some spiritual soup going on in their thinking, what are we asking that person to do? How are we treating that person? How are we behaving to that person? Are we pressuring them? Are we coercing them? Is it good for us to be, to be having conversations and be going, yeah, come on, let's, let's grow in this. Let's go back to the Scriptures. Let's search it. If, if there's knowledge to be had that we've been given by God, let's have knowledge. 
but forcing someone to adopt a practice which they believe is willfully sinful and, and getting that person to kind of crack and to start violating their conscience means that we've actually done something that's out of order. We have not been as loving as we could be. This is what we want. This is what Paul is pushing for. I know it's a silly picture, but we are actually wanting to accommodate other people. You will meet people all the time where you think their understanding of God is screwed up. You're going to meet people all the time where you think, man, whatever that person, wherever they've come from, man, they got taught some weird stuff. Everyone thinks that about everyone. How we respond is what Paul is talking about. Do we respond with patience? Do we respond with love? Do we respond with gentleness? Or are we trying to twist someone's back? Now, I said earlier that you were going to remember this morning. This, is, this will never happen again. So George has a response to make. Hey, this is... I don't want to have to, I don't want to, have to do this lesson again. All right? Now, this is a silly, this is a silly, shallow example. But Paul says if we get our attitude wrong, we sin against Christ. Anyone in the room want to sin against Christ himself? No, not me. So sometimes it means this. Sometimes expressing the love that we have for this person who Christ has died for, that person in your life who has messed up thinking, that person that Christ has died for, sometimes it means it means sacrifice on our part. It means putting, putting aside something that we love and enjoy, putting aside something that we know we have the freedom for. It's hard, isn't it? Mm. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to say thank you to our helpers for this morning. And then we're going to do a song to finish. Lord Jesus, I am so aware this moment of how black and white we can be sometimes and how harsh we can be and how much we can actually not be particularly patient or particularly loving. Lord, I'm mindful of of my own frustration sometimes. I'm sure many of us in this room have felt that frustration of just wanting other people to, to change their behavior where we've not been loving, we've not been patient, we have not given the grace that you yourself have given us. We have not given the patience that you have given us. Lord Jesus, we want to be your people and we so, we so dearly want to represent you faithfully. Please give us wisdom. You promised that you would, no, you would not withhold wisdom from anyone who asks. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom. Reveal the scriptures to us. But, Lord God, give us, give us your love. Give us your love for this hurting country of ours. Give us your love for the messy, messed up people that we are and that we live next door to and that we are surrounded by that we come across in our businesses and in our study and in our retirement and in our social groups. Give us love for them that is both accommodating and patient and yet is continually wanting them to be free.
to know the freedom that you have brought. Lord Jesus, please be at work in us. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Can we say thank you to our helpers this morning, please? It was easier. I think it was easier for Ron than Michael.